friend. Thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. bit of a tough act to follow there. I might have them tone that video down next time so it isn't just me afterward, you know. But no, I'm uh, very excited that it's Christmas child time again. This Thursday night, I saw Pastor Steve's wife, Helen, wheeling in the boxes out to build those walls over there, boxes for us to take. And I got excited about the traditions, about the rhythm of our, of our faith. Isn't that cool? Isn't it good? You get, God gives you another chance every time. And uh, speaking of the rhythms of our faith, it was cool to celebrate. Uh, Karen, I don't know if you made it back in here yet. Is there someone with dripping hair around you somewhere? But it was good to celebrate with Karen as she got baptized this morning. Yeah. Pastor Josiah, couldn't we do that in a tank out behind the church where it might not be as embarrassing for people? I guess we could, but that isn't the point, is it, for us? We're celebrating someone, our sister Karen, who before her life, she was lost, no hope, no God. Then now hope, now God in her life. We get to see that old life go down into the tank, then we see that new life in Christ come back up. I wanna be there to celebrate, you know, and I did my time. There used to be some uh, nice big spiders in our tank over at Kurth when you went in, so things have changed here. You guys are are lucky. All right, we're gonna continue in our... uh, series in Colossians, a prerequisite to this sermon today. You definitely need to hear last Sunday's because we talked about the putting off of the old life. Because today we're gonna talk about what it looks looks like to put on that new life in Christ. And I wouldn't want anyone to think that just over the top of a life without God, you can put good Christian behavior because you can't That's not the gospel and it will leave you broken and we're gonna talk a little bit about that. And so if you weren't with us last Sunday, man, go back uh, to Crosspoint Church's YouTube channel and you wanna check out Pastor Sean talking to us from Colossians about putting off the old life. But this time, uh, this morning, we're gonna talk together about putting on that new life in Christ. Putting on the new life would mean that it's out there waiting for us that it's something that Jesus has done, that it's something he's made, that it's waiting there for us to put on. It's a rhythm, it's a tradition, it's a well-worn path that we can walk, this new way of acting in Christ. And uh, I don't know if I've always liked the idea of getting into a tradition or walking a well-worn path. I think sometimes in my life I've been caught up in the spirit of our culture here in America. We're big fans around here of improv. Have you guys noticed that? Um, In our culture, we like improv comedy. We like an improv guitar blues solo. Um, We like an an improv jazz jam. Um, We like new stuff, new shows, new season. Let's get out there and make it up. And matter of fact, I think that entertainment industry and stuff like that has infected us a little bit as people to where we've actually thought that being a good human being means having to get out there, look inside, find out who you are, uniquely you out of the billions of humans that have graced this earth, find out who you uniquely are and get out there and improv. Make it up, baby, and show everybody who you are. And I think the pressure of that is killing us. There's a lot of ways that I've seen it. Maybe you have too, but uh, one that gets me every time. Uh, Well, first, this might come as a surprise to some of you. You guys ready? Well, you might wanna sit down for this. 
I am not an avid dancer, really. I know, I know I've got Dancing with the Stars written all over me. But be that as it may, I'm not really an avid dancer, and dances find me. There might be some of you here who go and find them. I don't know what's wrong with you, but they find me um, when I have the misfortune of being caught at one more wedding reception or uh, any other kind of a ceremony where, in America, we've decided it's a good idea to turn off the lights, play high-energy dance or country tunes, herd a bunch of adults out who haven't been in a dance since the last time they got caught in one of these, and we just say, you know, feel the music in your soul. Get out there, baby, and dance. And uh, don't help me after the service, okay? I've had that before where people come up, no, you don't understand. You have to just listen to the music. Oh, I listen to it. It tells me to go and sit down every time. (laughs) I listen, trust me. But it does make me jealous. You guys could think, well, you don't like dancing because you'd rather be somewhere frowning, I guess, instead of gyrating with the rest of the human race. No, that's not true. I actually like dancing. I have purposely watched ballets before. Um, I appreciate and, and am impressed by all professional dancers, ballet, jazz dancers, everybody else. I think it's an awesome thing. And as a matter of fact, when I see some shows like Little Women, don't, don't judge me. I got three daughters. I've seen it like three times. I don't care what you think. I've seen the old version and the new one. And uh, when I see uh, Downton Abbey, again, I don't care what you think. Me and my wife had a great time watching it. You weren't there. I was, and I had a great time. But when I see these old sh- uh, movies about Victorian English times, man, what do you see? You see like 20 guys, and then you see like 20 ladies, and they're just all wearing what they're supposed to wear. Nobody had to make it up. They're just wearing what you're supposed to wear to a, uh, what are we gonna call it, a Victorian English hoedown? And all the ladies have got the same gowns on. And they were taught these dances when they were kids so they don't have to make it up now. So you got about 20 guys in a row and they're just doing the dance and they come up in the line and then they all go back in the line. And then you don't have to be good looking enough to get the girl to dance with you. She just has to because you were there in the line right then. Come on, all you who were judged at square dancing in junior high, they don't have to make the choice. They just have to do it because you're number five. What is this man raving about? Well, what I'm trying to say is, I'm jealous that they are able to be free to dance, to have fun, and to live it because they were taught the way when they were young and everybody is doing it together. It's like, this is the way we do it. So they can think about doing other things, like usually in those movies, stealing someone else's husband or something, you know, while they're supposed to be dancing. And I think that the Christian way of changing our behavior, I think the Christian way of doing what God wants us to do more often than we don't, or to keep with what I said in our series here, the Christian way of having put off that old life and beginning to put on the new has way more in common with a way that's waiting there for us to put on and nothing to do with a get out there and make it up, look inside and find the strength to be the person God's called you to do and just do it. Feel the music in your soul, brother. It has a lot more to do with God has it waiting there for you. But just in case this is my silly opinion, let's go to Colossians chapter three and we're gonna be reading verses 12 through 17 as the apostle Paul lays out the great way 
of Christian behavior transformation or the 50 cent word sanctification. So in Colossians chapter three, starting in verses 12, after Paul has told the Colossian church and reminded them to put off that old way that had nothing to do with God, in verse 12 he says now, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's an awesome list of things to do. Do you guys, first of all, notice uh, the pattern there? That from beginning to end, the Apostle Paul says, put on these things, and then from there on, it's ways that we should act. Did you guys notice that? It's actions and attitudes. There's nothing in these verses um, that you could do just in your head, so to speak. These are all ways that we're supposed to act and all attitudes that we're supposed to have, except for a short exception in the beginning. I don't know if you guys noticed as we were reading it, sometimes it takes me a few times uh, through the verses to notice that Paul did take a little detour at the beginning. Did you guys notice that? Almost all the way through, it was just things we were supposed to do, but he took a little detour at the beginning. And it's this, he says to put it on, what? Look again at verse 12 with me. Put on Christ then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put it on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, since Paul is gonna list a bunch of hard things for us to do, did he take uh, that little detour at the beginning just to encourage us a little bit? Like, why does Paul decide to mention our identity right at the beginning? So we're not just to put on these behaviors as Josiah and Catherine and Josh and Jess and Dennis. We're not just supposed to put them on as just anybody. We're supposed to put them on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, I'm suspicious of the Apostle Paul. He didn't have ink to spare, and the guy liked to pack things in. Everything he writes is loaded with meaning, so I have a feeling he wasn't just tickling us a little bit. I have a feeling he wasn't just saying, be encouraged, guys, you can do this, and now here's this long list of things. Good luck to you. As a matter of fact, I think the fact that he points out our identity in the beginning might be the key to the whole passage, and I'll tell you why. As far as I've seen in my life, and as far as I can tell from scripture, there are two main roads to accomplishing something or to having a certain identity, okay? Two main roads. The first one we know well in our culture. This is in America, we're a very professional culture with careers and so on like that. And so road number one is this. There are identities in life that you have to do a bunch of hard stuff and then you will be one of those. There are identities in life where you have to accomplish a bunch of hard things, and then after you do, if you do them right, then you'll be one of those. Here's a few examples. If you wanna be a plumber, or a fireman, or a doctor, or a floor layer, or a roofer, or a nurse, or a sailor, then 
You can't just show up one day at the job and say, I'm one of those. I have found this out the painful way, have you guys? I've actually been physically struck on top of a roof before because I went up there, somebody asked me if I wanted to do some roof work on the weekend for extra money, and I said, sure, because I was too dumb to know what I was talking about. So then we're up there and we're ripping nails off and the guy's holding out his hand for me to hand him something and I have no idea what I'm supposed to hand him because I had never purposely been up on a roof before. The guy literally struck me, not in the face, but you know, pretty hard and was like, give me that. You know, when I reach, I need that. And you know, you're slowing us down. The reason why he was doing that is because he was illustrating the difference between him and me. He was a roofer and I was not, all right? Because I hadn't done certain hard things to get there. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. I don't want you guys to think I'm saying there is. Now, I'm not talking about hitting people on roofs. I'm just talking about there's nothing wrong with the career path that you have to do some hard things in order to become one of these. It works good, and it's good in careers. And the way that you stay motivated in a path like that, as most of you know, is that when you aren't one of those yet, and you have to keep getting through a bunch of hard stuff, then you just hold up the fact that one of these days you'll be one of those. Right? You say, man, one of these days I'm going to make it. My family has made sacrifices for me and I'm getting up early and I'm doing things I don't want to do because one day I'll be a fill in the blank and there's nothing wrong with it. The only problem is when it's put out of context, it can be a real killer. Like if we begin to think that the Christian life is that way, for instance, that you have to do a bunch of hard stuff and then one of these days you'll be one of those fill in the blanks. So I said that was the first way. What's the second way? Well, there's some things in life where instead of doing a bunch of hard stuff so that you can be one of these one day, there's another path in life where because you already are someone, you do a bunch of hard stuff. Okay, so let's notice the difference because it really matters. So the first one, fine, a lot of it is in our careers. You do a bunch of hard stuff to become something. The second one, very important though, sometimes we do a bunch of hard stuff because we already are something. Now, the Apostle Paul says here that we are supposed to do all of these things and have these attitudes. We're supposed to put this on because we are already, what? Chosen, God's beloved ones. That's who he's talking to. Does that make sense? So it's so important for us to notice that God is not standing over here holding up the promise of being one of his chosen ones. And if you just do the right stuff and make it to him, you'll get there. Instead, he is holding up the fact that we are already one of those things and that if we can because of who we are. Now, I think, you know, you'd be, it would take a lot to disagree with me right now. Uh, because, you know, I'm up here and I got the microphone, but I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I get a little frustrated with all that, you know? Sometimes I say, God, what's so wrong with just letting people earn a little bit of salvation? You know, you're always frustrating me with this. I have to look inside, know what you've done for me and realize my identity. How come I can't just set my alarm a little earlier and know that you were impressed and then read the third chapter of the Bible for today and know that you were impressed with me and then pray even for a few people I don't like and then you'd be impressed with me and then go to church. Man, go to church two services on a Sunday and then just have you know why and know that you were happy with me for once. You know, what's so wrong with it? As it turns out, there's a lot wrong with it. 
<laughs> and scripture is very specific about why this is so important. It's absolutely vital that we have to understand that as Christians, we act from our identity and not towards it. Now, I don't expect for you to be with me already, so I wanna go through a few other scriptures that Paul lists so that we can see why it's so important that we go from our identity and not towards it if we're gonna change our behavior. The first one I'd like to point out is in Romans 12 and two, and it'll be up here on the screen, so you, you can play Bible bingo if you want, but it will be up here. In Romans 12 and two, Paul has these words to say. He says, do not be conformed to this world. So already you can tell we're talking about behavior and actions. He's saying there's a way that this world goes, there's a dance that this world does, and I don't want you to do it anymore. I don't want you to be conformed to the way this world does things, but instead, I want you to be transformed. Okay, Paul, how am I gonna be transformed? By the renewal of your mind. I want you to start thinking differently. If I start thinking differently, Paul, what should I do then? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. All right. So first and foremost here in this scripture with Paul, we find out that, that God actually wants us to get out, test drive the Christian life. Isn't that interesting? It says you need to get out there, have your mind transformed so you start thinking differently. And when you start thinking differently, the apostle Paul says, get out and start testing what God likes. Now you can't get out and start testing what God likes if the whole time you're hoping that by doing enough good things, then God will finally accept you. You won't have the confidence to do that. It's why I don't go out and test drive my dance skills. I already know they're bad and everybody's watching. No one tells you to get out on the dance floor and test it out. You're supposed to just have it already and you get out there and impress people. And that's what those four other people do while the rest of us wait in the outer darkness hoping it'll be over pretty soon. With that identity, if we knew that we were God's son or daughter, if we knew that that was true because Jesus died for us, if we knew it was true because we had repented of having been away from him and having been accepted back into his family, and no one, no one, not angels or demons or death or problems or poverty or riches or anything could take that away from us, if we could know that we were who we were no matter what anyone said or did, then we would have the confidence to try. This comes to me so much. I have learned to try to forgive. It's so defeating to sit back and say, I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna forgive. God says, don't do that, man, don't do that. If you have something against somebody, try. Text them, pray for them. The next time a scripture comes up about forgiving people, put their name in it. Just try it out and say, God, sometimes I do and I don't feel any better or I called him to forgive him but ended up reaming him out for what he did to me again. And God says, I know, but you did it as my son and you didn't do it right, but I still love you so you can get back up and you can try again. I feel like a lot of us are stuck in our Christian behavior because we think we have to sit at home in the basement and get it right, and then we could go out into the world and just do it. And I want you to know that it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work for that way for the Apostle Paul or for anyone else, it doesn't work that way. And it's one of the major reasons why we can't work our way towards a Christian identity. It just won't work that way. Here's another reason we'll see in Galatians 5 and 17. This is another reason why we have to know who we are first and that will begin to change our behavior rather than the other way around. Galatians 5 and 17, which will be up on the screen, Paul says this, for the desires of the flesh, when Paul uses that word flesh, he means human ability apart from the strength of God. Human ability, what you could do if God wasn't helping you. 
The desires of the flesh, the human apart from God, are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So another reason why we can't work our way towards the Christian life is because a lot of times we look inside and we see bad stuff. A lot of times we wake up in the morning with leftovers. Does anybody here get excited? I know there's gonna be a few, I understand that. Let's say you come over to my house for dinner, I've invited you over, I'm bragging about my wife's cooking and saying, you know, it's gonna be good. And then when you get over and you sit down, I say, oh, I hope you don't mind, we actually decided to have leftovers. <laughs> and I start popping Tupperware, you know, and you got goulash from last night, a little bit of day old bread. It's not too bad if you soak it in your water. <laughs> now I know some people here are going to go, I love leftovers. I know, I know, I know. My mom was the leftover queen. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. We drank powdered milk too. It doesn't mean I want to go back to it. You understand? <laughs> a lot of us don't know that we're in a war and we go out and we get beat up on and we get pulled aside and we get challenged in our Christian behavior and we take it as a sign that we're not Christians. Forgetting that before we knew God, we went forward with confidence in the way of the world and the flesh and the devil. A lot of us, in other words, would benefit quite a bit when we're condemning ourselves and say, man, sometimes I don't even know if I'm a Christian because my heart is broken because I mess up all the time. You, sir or madam, need to go out tonight to where the party people are gathered and start asking their opinions on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're gonna find out there is quite a bit of difference that God has made in your life in the fact, the sheer fact that it bothers you when you don't live up to who you're supposed to be. But one of the main reasons we can't work our way towards being, having our Christian identity, but instead we have to let our identity drive us, is because we are soldiers. And a soldier who wakes up every morning in battle and decides that day whether they're a soldier or not is going to lose. Instead, when we're in the heat of it and we're in the battle, we might not know whether we're going to win this particular battle, but we do know we have won the war in Christ Jesus, and we do know that we are one of his soldiers, bar nothing. That if we live, we live to Christ. If we get defeated today, we get defeated in Christ. If we die, we die with him. If we live, we live with him. And we have to know that for sure so that we can fight back and begin to win over those leftovers from our old life, those hangups and those outright spiritual attacks that try to destroy us and keep us from being who God has made us to be. Finally, and most powerfully, I might say the core reason why we can't change our behavior in order to become a Christian, but instead have to let our changed identity make us a Christian, comes from John 15 and five. Of course, you find it all over the Bible, but these are some of the most powerful words. Jesus himself says this. He says to his disciples, I am the vine. I have the life and the power in me. I'm the source for you guys, not the other way around. I'm the vine. You are the branches you live because and off of and from me. And whoever abides in me and I in him, if you live in me, then I live in you. And he it is that bears much fruit. He it is that does what God is calling them to do. He it is whose behavior will change. For apart from me, you can do what? Guys, listen, I'm, I'm there. I'm your brother. I've tried so many times. Haven't you tried? I've tried so many times to do good to get to Jesus. 
You know, I feel bad on Tuesday because I'm not winning as a dad and I'm not doing good as a pastor and I'm really striking out as a husband. And I say, man, if I could just get to Jesus, maybe I could do better. So I apologize to my wife and I study a little bit more as a pastor and I try to be nice to my kids and I'm hoping Jesus will notice and come back because surely I chased him off with my bad behavior. Well, glory be to God that I'm wrong, that he never left and never would because if he did, I could do nothing. I'd be totally hopeless if in fact I don't wake up every morning knowing that the nail-scarred hands of Jesus are actually the one holding me up because I wore myself out doing a bunch of stupid stuff yesterday. And he's with me saying, man, if you would know that I never left you, if you would know that I had never left you, you would know. We were at our recovery group on a Thursday and in a guy's testimony, he said that he had, was talking to a Christian man and he was saying, the Christian man asked him, he said, do you know about God? And he said, I told him, I know that God has my back. And the guy said, then why don't you turn around and look at him? <laughs> Too many of us think God's got our back. Turn around, look at him. <laughs> He's looking at you. I promise you that. He's done everything it takes. I get excited talking about Jesus and I'll forget the rest of my sermon. Let's, I want to look again at the structure of our verse as we begin to come to the end, Paul wrote this in a certain way. There's movement in our, in our verse because I want you guys to be able to look at this later this week, okay? So I want you to look with me close at the structure of how Paul built this verse, this warning to change our behavior, this command, because it, it shows some movement here and it shows us some things about our identity. So go back to it now with me if you were there in your Bibles or it'll be up here on the screen. Colossians three twelve. Look at this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There's our identity. Watch the movement. Compassionate hearts. It means not looking at people and seeing competition. Compassionate heart means I look at other people and say, you're going through it like me. And I have compassion. I, I'm going to consider that and I'm not going to treat you like your competition to me, but I'm going to see you as a fellow human being. Compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive each other. The fact that he says, as the Lord has forgiven you, is not just a by the way for Paul. What Paul just asked us to do is what Jesus did for you. Look at it. Jesus saw you, and he had a compassionate heart. And even though you were his enemy and you were hateful to him, he was kind to you. And even though he's the creator of the universe, he humbled himself and became one of us. And even though he has ultimate creative power, he was meek and used it to help and heal instead of to destroy. And even though we were so uh, against him and stubborn and he's still working with us with patience. And even though we're afraid that he will leave us, he's bearing with you. And even though he has a major complaint against the human race, for one, we crucified him. He has forgiven us. This is the movement. What Paul's asking us to do is a response to the way that Jesus moved to you. Jesus did it first, and you're being asked to just react to it. Jesus moved towards you in all these ways, and we are just being asked to have it move us. And then from there, we are just told to take Jesus' stuff and use it as our own. What do I mean? Look at this. Let the peace of who rule in your heart? Christ, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of who 
Christ. It's his and he lets you have it. Let it dwell richly in your heart. You don't have to go find it. You don't have to rewrite the Bible. You just have to deal with it and open it because he already gave it to you. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of who? The Lord Jesus Christ because it's his stuff and he wants you to use it. Guys, I don't know if it occurs to you right away or if I'm doing my job today as a pastor, but it is a huge, huge blessing that Christian behavior change, sanctification, putting on meekness and humility and things like that, it is a huge blessing that these things are a reaction. God is asking you for a reaction to what he has done for you, not for you to do a work of invention and strength and improv to show him who you are. Can you imagine if God had left the truly important things up to us? For instance, what if it was up to my sense of responsibility and care for myself to sleep? Like, what if you didn't have to? Like, eventually you'd die if you didn't, but you just had to be organized and make a list and check it off because, oh yeah, now it's time to sleep. Yeah, I'd be dead. And uh, what if you didn't get hungry? Nah, what if it was just up to that same thing that's supposed to get me to clean all the trash out of my backseat? I'm supposed to get that thing to know that it's time for me to eat? Oh yeah, I would have starved to death a long time ago. Instead, God doesn't leave the really important things up to us. Instead, he has built them into life. And thank God, that includes his grace as well. God confronts us in his Holy Spirit and in the crucifixion of his son. He confronts us and he's just asking us to react to it. Let's put it deeper into human relationships. Whenever I look to left and right, I seem to only see the husbands and wives who are climbing mountains together. And then when they come down, they write a book about the love adventure that they're on. And now they have their own YouTube channel where they give each other uplifting advice in the Lord and they cry and hug it out on the internet. And I look at these people and I go, oh man, did Catherine lose the lottery when she got stuck with old Fox class of 2000 here? I guess I'm done. And then my behavior follows suit. I become who I'm afraid I might be, just that bum of a husband who's following the advice of the other people I was raised with. But when I stop doing that and instead react to the fact that actually it's just Catherine, same lady I met about 16 years ago who needs me to be her friend, and I think about the hard times that we've walked through, and then I think about the awesome times that we've had, like watching Downton Abbey together, still don't care what you think, and all the Mexican restaurants we've sat at and had a good time, and the kids that we've tried to raise together, these things I react to, and then it makes me forgive. It gives me the power to be a friend. It gives me the power to come home at night and not go other places and try to avoid my wife. It gives me the power to do these things. I'm just reacting to them. Glory be to God, that's what he's asking us to do. God has done for you and he's asking you to react. Now I wanna warn all of us and then move into something practical, just a warning. And this is for me, this is for all of us. Excuses in the Christian life and with sin are a powerful thing. The devil is the king. He sits on the king, on the throne of lies and excuses. And there are some of us here and I've been there that believe that when we see God, we'll be able to just say, I tried, you can see I tried, but I just couldn't do it. I wanna warn you, I wanna warn me, that this means there are no excuses. God already loved you and he's handing you an identity. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, yeah, but I'll just, just one more time, just one more time, I, 
I think this sin, you know, I'm trying. God knows I'm trying. I wanna warn you as your friend, your brother, your sister, that is the devil talking to you and he hates you. And to follow his advice is a really bad idea. And the times I've done it, I've lost years of my life. And so I would warn you to say, stop listening to that. God knows you're trying. And instead say, God knows who you are. And he knows what he could do in you. So no more excuses, just love. And let's get up and let's get moving. Now, there are so many ways that we could practically talk about changing our behavior as Christians, but just because of time, I'd like to focus on one. Uh, very often we think that what this Christian behavior means to do, since Paul says put on, something like humility, for instance, would be the one I'd like to take. It leads us to think of how easy Christian virtues can sometimes be to fake, at least on the outside. Now, I was a little bit of despair at this time and when I was putting my sermon together because I figured none of you guys would know how easy it can be to fake humility because I do. So I thought I better just stick with me because I didn't want to ask for any witnesses because you guys would go, I would never do that, ever. And so I've thought of the many times when someone asked me how my morning went and I just have to slip in the fact that I had a good morning because I did my Bible reading this morning. Oh, yes. What'd you do this weekend? Man, I spent a lot of time with my kids. That's nothing in compared to how much time I spent hiding from them, but you don't have to know that. And on and on. To be able to fake humility on the outside is so easy, and I don't think a lot of us do it because we're just jerks and want to get away with it. I think a lot of us fake a lot of Christian behavior because we literally think it's the best we can do. But what I would love, and I owe, um, I'm in debt to Kelly Capick in his book, You're Only Human, for these three steps of how to put on humility and not fake it, though. So I would love to just look at this as an alternative and a, a way to apply what we're talking about today that maybe humility is just laying there for us to put on. Maybe we don't have to make it up and maybe we don't have to try harder. So he puts these three steps. Number one, he says, you could recognize that God is your creator and sustainer. He just is. You don't have to make him be. You don't have to hope he is. He is your creator and your sustainer. You don't have anything original to you and you are not sustaining yourself. God is. It's just something we need to wake up to. It's, not, it's reality. It's gravity. It's the sun coming up in the morning. It's just true. You don't have anything original with you and God is your sustainer. That could be very negative if you were hoping your life was your own to do with as you please or it could be a very blessed reality for us to wake up to say, I don't have to make it up anymore. God knows who I am and God will keep me. It's humbling. It's humbling just because it is. It's humbling like trying to climb a mountain and falling off of it, which would then lead us to be grateful and legitimately delight in the gifts and strengths of other people because the lack of humility in my life is all about me feeling like I gotta have pride and be better than you and just be better at something than somebody. And say, no, I don't have to because I don't have anything of my own. Everybody was made by God. And I could maybe legitimately be happy about the things that you're better at than I am. And maybe we could rejoice together in some good way, which then would lead me to grateful participation and community with others. And really the ability to consider other people as being more important or had their needs more important than my own. These are realities I could walk into. They're sitting right there. They're not gonna go anywhere. They'll be there tomorrow. They're here today. They'll be there tomorrow night. These are realities, and they are what humility is made out of. 
So we're done uh, for now with this sermon, but wouldn't it be beautiful if we were able to stop trying so hard for God and just put on this behavior that Christ has laying there for us? Can you imagine how amazing that would be? Have you guys never had a good time being a Christian? I've had great times being a Christian, haven't you? There's been so many times in my life, and I know it's true for you guys, I'm, I'm being funny. I know that there have been some times in your life where you, it kind of sneaks up on you, where you were like, I used to be lost, I used to be so crabby. That guy just cut me off and I really don't care. I really don't, I'm not just doing it because I heard the sermon before. I remember when I used to rage at the guy and now I'm just not doing it because I know, man, I, brother, I get it, I'd cut off the whole world if I could and now God has cut me off and he's making me know that it doesn't matter if I get everywhere I wanna be on time, so I really don't care and I'm able to laugh and my wife and I have been able to laugh at things that we used to be so mad at each other about and I've been able to forgive sometimes with ease. Now, I got so far to go, so far to go, but there have been some times where I've had a great time being a Christian and I have a lot of hope for Crosspoint that if we begin to see that this is laying there for us, that we could have a great time together being Christians. What do you guys think about that? Okay. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for that path of sanctification that's laying there. Thank you for that identity that you're handing to us and that we can live from. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.